morning uh, before Sunday school, a group of our men met to pray. Uh, they do that on the last Sunday of each month. It's usually a small group, four or five at the most. Uh, but those who come, I think, would agree that it's time of rich blessing and benefit to them. And I begin there this morning because it follows what uh, Paul tells us in our text where he calls on the men to pray. Now, I don't often take a verse by itself, but I have decided to deal with just this one verse uh, this morning. It is the last verse in a section where Paul is really giving us a call to prayer, where you might remember he exhorted us to pray for all men, to pray for uh, those uh, rulers and uh, those in authority over us, for governmental officials and pray broad evangelistic prayers uh, for the salvation of God's people around the world. But before leaving this subject of prayer, uh, Paul talks about how important it is for the church to have praying men. Now next Sunday I'm going to try to finish chapter 2 where Paul addresses the place and the role of women in the church. It is a rather controversial passage. You can pray for me as I prepare for that sermon next Lord's Day. Uh, But here in verse 8, he's dealing with the men. And he focuses upon the men, especially in regard to prayer. And I want to point out three things from this one verse this morning. And, And first, we simply see the importance of praying men. And you can tell that uh, what we find in verse 8 follows from what he's already said in verses 1 through 7, because verse 8 begins with the word, therefore. Just told us to pray, called us to pray, told us to pray again for rulers, governmental officials, those in authority over us, for all men, uh, to pray these broad evangelistic kinds of prayers. And then he goes on to say, verse 8, Therefore, based on what I've just said, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. Because prayer is so essential and so important, Paul says, I want the men in the church to be praying men. I want them to pray. Now, Paul is not saying that women are not to pray or that the prayers of women are not important. That is unthinkable. You know, we always interpret Scripture by Scripture. That is because we know that Scripture doesn't contradict itself. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about women praying, even praying in the context of the church. Women can pray. Women are to pray. We appreciate, we treasure the prayers of the women. What we find here, however, is simply, I think, a focus on what we find all the way through the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that is focus upon the importance of leadership of men in the church. Now, I know that's not so politically correct today to say, but again, you know, I'm not so concerned about it being politically correct. I want to be biblically correct. And one of the problems over the church in the last 50 years or so is that it has submitted itself to the pressure, yielded itself to the pressure of the culture instead of standing uh, committed to biblical teaching. And I will say this again next week, I'm sure, but the Bible has a very high place for women. There 
is no indication in the Bible that women are inferior to men, less capable than men, of less value than men. What the Bible does say, however, is that God's structure for life, both in the church and in the home, there is a different place for men and for women. Now understand the difference is in structure. It's not in equality. It's not in ability. It's not in value. It is in God's design for life. And in God's design, the man is the head of the family and men are leaders in the church. And when we get over to chapter 3, which will be after the first of the year, uh, we'll come again, as we've looked at before, qualifications for elders and for deacons. And we find that both those positions are reserved for men. The women have a place in the church that is irreplaceable. Women provide so much good in and for the church. And the church is greatly blessed by the ministry uh, of the women, by their witness and by their work and by their wisdom. But in his sovereignty, God has placed the men in positions of leadership and authority in the church. I've said it before, might as well say it again. As much as we love the women, as much as we appreciate the women, as much as we need the women, the strength of the church is not in her women. The strength of the church is in her men. The church needs strong men, godly men, faithful men, committed men, zealous men. And as Paul says here, the church needs praying men. That doesn't mean that all men have to feel comfortable praying out loud or in public. Some struggle with that. More important than praying in public is men praying in private. The men are to assume the responsibility for praying. For praying for the body of Christ. For praying for the church. For praying for their families. For praying for their children. Again, it doesn't mean that women are not to pray. They are to pray. Absolutely they're to pray. We treasure the prayers of our women. Whether it be praying in private, praying in prayer groups, praying in our corporate times of prayer, such as in Sunday evenings. It's called for men to pray, to be praying men, in no way negates the importance of women praying. Because of their place of Leadership and authority in the church, Paul is saying, look, the church needs the men to pray. Men, here, the church needs you to be praying men. And if you're not a man of prayer, if you struggle with prayer, I would challenge you to work on that, to try to do better with that, and to do it in small steps. Don't try to become a prayer warrior overnight because you'll be frustrated. And you'll give up. Take it in small steps just to try to pray a little and a little more and then a little more. And God will bless you in it. Paul says, I want the men in every place, in every church to pray. It's important for the church to have praying men. That's its importance. Second, we see the character of praying men in this verse. Paul says, I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands. Now you might think he's talking about the posture of prayer. But really is a focus here upon the character of the one who prays. And the Bible does talk about our posture. 
in prayer. There are many different positions that the Bible describes people take as they pray. You might remember that Solomon stood before the altar, spread out his hands toward heaven as he prayed. David, we're told, on occasion would kneel as he prayed. Uh, the tax collector, you might recall in the story Jesus told, stood as he prayed, but he was uh, too embarrassed, too ashamed, even to lift his eyes toward heaven, so he looked toward the ground. He beat on his chest as he prayed. Uh, we're told that uh, uh, Daniel, uh, David, uh, da- David sat before the Lord as he prayed. Abraham fell on his face before the Lord as he prayed. Uh, Jesus, when he offered his high priestly prayer, lifted his, his face toward heaven as he prayed. Here in in our text, Paul says, for the men when they prayed, lift up holy hands. Now lifting up hands was a customary way for the Jews to pray. And that practice was carried over into the early church. Uh, There are some today who still lift up their hands when they pray or when they sing or when they worship. I wouldn't normally address that, but I think I'll just use this as an occasion to do that. Nothing wrong, folks. Nothing wrong with people lifting their hands. When they pray, when they sing, when they worship. And you know, if you open your eyes during the pastoral prayer, you'll probably see me lifting my hands from time to time as I pray. What I would say is that the most important thing is that if you lift your hands, or when you lift your hands, you're lifting them to, see, to be seen by God. And not to be noticed by men. Because one is a true act of worship. The other tends to fall into the area of hypocrisy. But Paul is here not just telling the men to lift up hands. It's really not the posture he's talking about here. He's talking about lifting up holy hands. And the lifting up of holy hands is a reference, I believe, to a holy life. You know, David asked in Psalm 24, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who may stand before his holy place? And he gives the answer in verse 4. It is he who has two things. Clean hands and a pure heart. You see there, David ties those two things together. Clean hands and a pure heart. And here I think when, when Paul talks about the men praying, lifting up holy hands... Even though he's not negating lifting up hands at all, the focus is upon the character of the one who prays. To bring to God a holy life. A holy life is a prerequisite for effective prayer. Now, notice I said a holy life, not a perfect life. A life that's serious about pursuing holiness, putting on holiness, practicing holiness. You know, the psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart. The Lord will not hear me. That is, if I have known sin in my life, I have sin I know about, sin I've not confessed, sin I'm not willing or ready from which to repent, and I pray, then my prayers are not going to be effective. It is hypocrisy to loiter in sin just to kind of live in sin, knowing you're doing that, outside of God's revealed will, 
And then come to him in prayer and say, Oh God, by the way, bless my life. If I regard sin, if I hold on to sin, if I live in sin, the Bible says the Lord will not hear me. Now that doesn't mean sinners are banned from praying. If that was true, none of us would pray. But we pray with a a spirit and attitude of confession, asking for forgiveness and, and praying for God to give us the strength to turn from that sin. That's why it's so important that when we pray, we pray, oh God, would you forgive me of my sin? And it's helpful when you're praying, especially in private, to, to lay out those sins before God and to ask him to forgive you of specific sins which you have committed because it is that process of confession and forgiveness that gives you access to God's throne of grace. And so... This is a call for praying men and also a call for holy men to pray. Holy men lifting up holy hands. And then third, we see the relationships of praying men. Paul says men are to pray without wrath or dissension. Let me read it again. Therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and Dissension. That word there refers to relationships, human relationships, and the difficulty that can come in those relationships. And for your prayers to be effective, not only must you have a holy life in your relationship with God, but you must be living in harmony and peace with other people. Now, you've heard me say it before. I say it over and over again. These two different points of focus that we have in our spiritual lives. We have our vertical relationship with God. We have our horizontal relationships with other people. And both of those are crucial for you to live your life in a way that pleases and honors the Lord. You must be living in a free and open uh, relationship with God. Having a, a relationship with Him that's unhindered by your sin. And you must be living in an open relationship with each other, forgiving each other, not being bitter against each other, letting bygones be bygones, moving on from what's in the past to what's in the future. Now, one affects the other. Your relationship with God impacts your relationship with other people. Your relationship with other people impacts your relationship with God. And here Paul is talking about the importance of your relationships with the other people on the horizontal level in regard to your prayers. He's just dealt with a vertical relationship. I want men to lift up holy hands. Now he's talking about without wrath or dissension. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And that's what he's talking about here in regard to prayer. He wants the men to pray without wrath and without dissension. Many times we don't realize how important our relationships with other people are and how important it is to be at peace with other people. You know, we've, we've really been working on that in this church. Your officers have a deep burden for that. That's one of the reasons we have uh, offered the Peacemaker series twice over the last several years, once in Sunday school, once on Wednesday nights, 
some of your children have gone through the Peacemaker series, the children's version of it, uh, this past uh, fall. Uh, too often, believers are at odds with other people, odds with other believers. And too often, that happens right in the midst of the church, and that affects the church. It affects the life of the church, the growth of the church, and the prayers of the church. And your elders want to do everything they can to avoid that, to keep our keep the peace in our body, to enable us to have harmonious relationships. Healthy believers and healthy churches are pursuing holiness in their relationship with God, pursuing peace and harmony in their relationships with other people. And it affects our life of prayer. It's so important that your relationship, broken relationship with another person, can hinder your prayers. You know, it's so important that Jesus said that if you're, if you're at worship and you realize that your brother has something against you, then you ought to go leave worship, go reconcile to your brother, then come back and worship. Now, I understand that's not at all times practical, but it, it, Jesus is making a point there. Relationships matter. If you are at odds with a fellow believer, if you know someone has something against you, if you've hurt another one's feelings or done something to offend them and you come to worship with that burden on your soul it affects and impacts your worship and it also does the same thing Paul says with your prayers and so he says I want I want the men to pray not only lifting up holy hands being right in the relationship with God but also without wrath or dissension in right relationship with other people as well it's the Thanksgiving season, and I'm thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for praying men. And I know that we have men in this church that pray. Not just public prayers, but I know we have private prayers. Men who pray. Men who pray for me, and for Gavin, for the elders, and for the deacons, who pray for the women in the church, and who pray for uh, the different ministries of our church. And that honors the Lord. I'm thankful for men and women, quite honestly, who pray. But this morning, if you are struggling with prayer, it's hard for you. It's hard to be consistent, regular with it. But I would challenge you to set aside just a little time every day to begin to pray. And it may feel awkward at first. It may seem strange. It might be difficult. But just like in getting to know another person, the more you talk to them, the easier it becomes. And it's that way in our relationship with God. The more you talk to Him, the easier it will be. The more natural it will become. This exhortation is important for the church. We need people to pray. And in particular, we need the men to pray. And Paul says, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. And I want you to be encouraged this morning, just as I am, by the prayers, the prayers of the men in the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for prayer.
And I thank you for people who pray, both men and women. In particular this morning in the light of this text, I thank you for the men who pray. And I pray for the men in our church who may struggle with it. That you would help them to begin to learn and to find the joy and the delight that comes from spending time in prayer with you. That they might be encouraged and blessed by it. And that our church might be encouraged and strengthened too. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.